This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can be used to make more complex cocktails as well, and you'll find those in the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. These are available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on This Family Tree Podcast, episode 127. And we have a, not a re-release because this is new things we're talking about right now but we have a re-interviewed guest yes we are re-releasing our interview with sonia curry so she's the mom to two superstars in the nba no. seth curry what? well we can't go lying and exaggerating okay well one I'm, superstar yeah. oh yeah that's better. and one decent player anyone who makes the nba is pretty good at basketball and i think seth is very good but i don't think he'll be in the hall of fame no, but I, I mean, hope I he ends up in the Hall of Fame. Look, raising two professional athletes is a huge feat. So we talked to Sonia about what it's like to have that kind of inherent drive in a family, what it's like to raise professional athletes. Like, that's amazing. You know, other than the Ball family, King Richard, Williams family, there's not that many families that have multiple amazing athletes. It's true. Do you know who Del Curry is? Yeah, his dad. What what team did he play for? The Raps. He did, yeah. I know. What was he really good at? I don't know what he was good at. Shooting threes. <laughs> like <laughs> like Steph. So check it out. Whether or whether or not you are into basketball, into sports, I think it's a great conversation just about discipline, about hard work, and about having a family that knows their values and kind of being on the same page with that kind of thing. So I really hope you'll enjoy it. I know you will, especially if you're a new listener. Tune in, glean something from it. But Shane. Yes. Time to take the edge off with a little non-alcoholic Seedlip cocktail. Let's see. So we're doing uh, Seedlip Garden 108 and just a little tonic. Keeping it simple. Yummy, yummy. Right? Very good. Always is. Always is. I love it. So I saw on Facebook memories. First of all, do you look at your Facebook memories ever? I don't look at my Facebook. Oh, my God. I look at it every time I go to the bathroom, like in the morning, and I pull up the Facebook memories, and they are just so awful. Like, they're <laughs> awful to How look so? at. It'll be like, you know, what's the date today? April 26, 2007. Alex is feeling ready to party. Because that was the time where it said your name and then said is. So you had ah. to, and just anything, even after that is phase, I'll just have the stupidest statuses on my Facebook, the stupidest interactions with people I went to university with, friends, whatever. It is all so 
freaking cringy. Are you, but like you never go on Facebook, so you never have to be embarrassed by your past self. I'm always embarrassed of my past self. I'm <laughs> embarrassed of everything. I think I give myself about a month cushion in life to not be embarrassed. I'm not exaggerating. I'm embarrassed of every single thing. Like almost every week of my life, I am embarrassed of, and I wish I could relive it and correct it. Do you ever feel that way? Like everything. No, it's it's horrific. Like there, there's one interaction I have in a week that's always awful. But to be able to see everything that you wrote in the past or whatever. And like times I thought I was being witty and it just comes across as so silly or just try hard or something when I'm reading these statuses. It's brutal. I've never done anything I'm proud of. got two kids who might want to oh them yeah but they're not they're so like offshoots of me you know well you did something to make them and you know i know you're trying to make a rude joke but without being directly rude just go for it alex if you want to be funny well no because then it'll just be cringy and it's one more cringy memory i'm gonna have to listen to in a month from now but anyway shane one thing that i found on facebook memories this week that was not cringy and was actually super heartwarming and sweet and made me feel great. We announced our engagement six years ago this week. Oh, that makes me cringe. Why? We did it so ridiculous. (laughs) It was so bad. Well, we didn't announce it ridiculous. We just put up, nobody knew we were engaged, like the general public, our wider group of friends. We just put up a picture of our marriage um, license form. Oh, it was done so It said we're getting married in three months. With a picture of me closing my eyes wearing a... Co- like, why? I don't know, Shane. It's That's ridiculous. Take that down. Remove that. Well, it's gone now. I tried to access my memories again to, to read you the actual post, but it's gone now. It's off to a new memory. Everything we've done. Yeah. The... <laughs> <laughs> oh, like... The biggest cringe thing, too, is speaking of our wedding, I'm just remembering um, when we started dating, mm-hmm. we would film little cute videos of oh each other. Oh, my God. And one time we were on a hike and you picked up a branch and you put it between <laughs> your legs and you're like everyone does is a bad joke. You pretended it was a big pee-pee. So you're holding it like, hey, look at my big dinky. And you're kind of tapping cute it. Cute videos. And when... We had our wedding, it, which was at your house. We decided to have a slideshow of all these moments and all these cute little interactions that we filmed throughout the years. Somehow, I don't know how, the video edit of you picking up a log and pretending it's a penis made the cut. But people would stand around like elder people. <laughs> grandparents. Yes, grandparents. And watch this. And it would be incredibly awkward when the penis part happened. And it's a long scene. So you yeah. can't just watch it and skip over it. And it, and it would loop constantly. It's like me in the forest, nobody else, just with this big branch peepee. Yeah. And it's a long scene. I'm not doing it justice because I want to, <laughs> I'm trying to like save you a little bit. But that made me cringe. Though, Shane, you, you made the video. I know. Do I, you think you were mad at me the day you put it together? Of course not. No, I, I cannot think rationally in the moment. In hindsight, <laughs> I realize how foolish it is. Look, my outfit on our wedding, our pants. I'm wearing pants. Two and a half sizes too small. 
Look, I thought your I thought your outfit looked great. I know you have a lot to say about it, but I thought you looked great. The only thing was that I kick myself every time I look at the pictures is the, your, the stupid phone in your pocket. How did nobody catch that? I know we've talked about it on the pod before. Every wedding picture, you just see the outline of Shane's like iPhone 8 or whatever it was. If I could do that over again, I would have been so cool at that wedding. <laughs> nice short speech, just like hardly anything. Just a little speech. Uh, I would got my, my best man, Mike Veerman. For his wedding, he got everyone these awesome Ray-Bans. Right. And it was like the perfect gift. I didn't know how much to spend on weddings or anything. I got Mike like a $59 Casio and Star <laughs> Trek beer. <laughs> so he likes Star Trek, but I don't think he cares about little tchotchkes and like memorabilia. But it it was a beer that had a picture of like Captain Kirk on it or something. <laughs> and I'm like, here you go, brother. And he's like, Thanks. But it's Mike doesn't wear watches. Right. He also he doesn't he likes Coors Light. He doesn't care about the memorabilia beer. And I don't know what I was thinking. I you know, Shane, I'd like to say, and I say we just leave it at this. We were just blinded by excitement and love, and we're like, oh, let's just get married and forget about mm-hmm. the intricacies of planning like uh an adult wedding. Let's yeah. just throw the wedding that <laughs> You would throw if you were like an 18-year-old kid. And we did just that. And you know what? For that, I'm proud. Yeah. It's just the wedding is just in a long list of things (laughs) I'm embarrassed about. But I wanted to ask you with that and, you know, with those memories coming up, like, oh, my God, it was six years ago. And it's funny because you actually mentioned, you said uh, like two minutes ago on this podcast that there were videos that we had filmed throughout the years. Yeah. We'd only been dating for like six months by the time we got engaged and a year by the time our wedding came around. So there were memories from, you know, 11 months. Good memories, though, and lots of them. But maybe if they were longer, the uh, branch peepee wouldn't have made the cut. Okay. We had more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Okay, but listen, thinking about this and love and like, you know, that kind of thing. I want to ask, because that was six years ago. So this summer is our sixth, will be our sixth wedding anniversary, seven years of being together. What do you think has changed the most in our relationship? And in what way do you think it's also stayed the same? Jeez, can you go first? Yeah, I think it's stayed the same in that everything is very game-like. Everything's very fun. We try to make everything we do into kind of like a competition or whether it's against each other or just kind of against ourselves or the wider world. Um, And I think it's changed in that, I mean, like the obvious, just having to take on so much together. Like, you know, kids, pandemic, houses, everything. And I think that in that sense, it matures and then, you hope to think that you, you know, when you argue or bicker that you do that when it comes to things that maybe are a little bit more important and you stop caring about really insignificant stuff, which I actually think despite I think we the argue look, about more insignificant stuff now. I disagree. Oh, I, okay. I think our, <laughs> I think our argument on the podcast. No, I think our arguments are more meaningful, I think now. Oh my goodness, they're about TikTok posts. <laughs> you said you were going to post that. You missed the date. 
I, I'll do it when I'm darn ready. Well, that's not what we said the other day. It's like everything's like about social media stuff. It's ridiculous. You gave yourself a voice that you would usually give to me in that impersonation. Your impersonation of yourself sounded like me. Yeah, I'm ludicrous. I, I step back and I think about what we're talking about. It's we, we, we have two kids and the only thing we argue about is social media. If you took out this whole this family tree business, I don't think we'd argue. Yeah, I don't think we would. So, but whereas when we first got together, it was just one, we were drinking a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I find when you're drinking a lot more, you're hung over a lot more. That can affect your mood, your serotonin levels. So we were arguing about ridiculous things at that point too but they felt more like life things now it's just like (laughs) i don't know weird social media tiktok things um but what do you think what do you think the way it's changed and stayed the same yeah okay i I think the arguments are more ridiculous now (laughs) and less yeah like because it's Maybe they're the same, but the arguments are so silly that it's hard to take seriously in real life. So they don't linger over as much. And we drink less. We're more responsible. You're slightly more trustworthy. But I don't... That's slight. Well, describe what you mean by that. You're a little snake. Explain. (laughs) Explain. People are going to think I'm sneaking around. Well, you... If I ask you to do something, you forget about it less. Now it's like a 50, 50%, <laughs> whereas before it was 100%. So yeah. we're we're getting better. We've doubled our, well, I guess, you know, you couldn't have gotten any worse. But yes, you're <laughs> 50% and it was 100%. And um, you are more adult. You are very much more adult. Oh, well, you are much more adult too, Shane. I haven't really changed. I'm very independent. You were You're very independent. independent. I'm not saying you weren't independent. I'm oh, just saying. Oh, that's what I mean by adult, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. What do you mean? Like personality-wise. For me? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the exact same. Yeah, I don't know. I think what? you're more mature. Really? Yeah. How? You're, you're more in control, I think, of your emotions. And I think you are... I, I think you're less, like temperamental toddler tantrum i don't know i was just upset about tiktoks before we started recording that's <laughs> why it's getting brought up yeah that's what i yeah, mean it's like business you know what i mean that's like it, that is important i don't know in the grand scheme is it really in the grand scheme nothing's freaking important but I like know. if we want to talk about our living and how we get by and provide for our family then it is important yeah, that just buys us like the ice cream cones and everything. We could get by without TikTok and everything. Would we want to? I like to, ice though? cream cones. Yeah, I, I like them too. Uh, okay, next question in regards to this. What do you think, now being married for six years, what do you think is the most important thing in a marriage or a long-term relationship? Trust? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, how, how many things do I have to list? Just one, but elaborate. Just- Trust? Like, because that speaks for itself, I think, in a lot of ways. But I want to hear your explanation of why it's important. Well, it's such an important thing of every day. A lot of people, they just think trust means their partner's not cheating on them. Mm -hmm. And some people leave it at that. It's like, oh, can you trust them? And they act like that's the most important thing. But to me, it's like, can I rely on you? If I I need you, a shoulder to cry on, can I trust you that you're going to 
treat my heart with care or whatever. Like, you know, it sounds weird. Or um, if I, if I ask you to do something that's important to me, but maybe not important to you, can I trust that you're going to care enough to do it, even though you don't care about it? So to me, all that type of trust is the most important. I don't know if you have some side fling at work, I guess I'd be like <laughs> irate, but what would really affects my life isn't your side fling. It's, how you are 100% of the time while we're together. Yeah, because you don't know about my side fling. Yeah, and honestly, if you could, <laughs> if it could be like 10 side flings in a life <laughs> or she's just going to like be the most reliable, trustworthy person in every other aspect, I might sign that contract. See, I would rip that contract up and that's where we're different. But I wanted you to explain trust and I'm, I'm glad you did because... I never saw trust and I still don't. I have to sit there because when I think of trust, I'm like, oh, that's like fidelity in a relationship. But that's all you focus on. Though. No, I know. Yeah. But when you start explaining trust in that other way, too, I was like, oh, that is so crucial. And I never thought of that as trust. And maybe I would think of it in, as like a different quality. But I think that's so awesome. And I wanted you to say that because I wanted people to hear that explanation of it because I think it's important. Well, another thing, if I told you something like pillow talk that... I, I don't want you to tell someone else. And then we're at a dinner and you reveal the thing that I told you in confidence uh, to the person at the dinner and you do so willingly, you know, uh, hypothetically speaking, if that were to happen, I might feel my trust was betrayed. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's been a bit. It's been a bit since anything like that's happened. Um, hold on. Wait, Two wait. years in quarantine helped that <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me just pull something up here. Shane. Yeah. You and I both saw the same meme, but this was set aside because I was going to ask you on the podcast. Picture this. Your wife has been kidnapped and is being held in a location 30 minutes away. You're driving to rescue her. Me. It's a warm night and the windows are down. Do you listen to music on the drive there? Yes or no? I probably would be so focused. I wouldn't even know if there was music on or not. I would be zooming around the streets. If I, the second I started hearing music, I'd probably turn it down. I needed all my senses because mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'm going to have to probably yell out the car, turn down the window. I would be driving like Mario Andretti. Um, and I know <laughs> this is a joke meme and you're supposed to say which song you would pick, which I'm sure you're going to do. Um, but yeah, I would just be so in the zone. Like you would have no idea. You would have never seen me drive like this. Yeah. You know what? As much as I'd love to answer a song, it was really hard for me to pick a song because all I could picture myself doing was just driving the car, gripping, freaking white knuckling the steering wheel and just like screaming mm -hmm. until I found you. But not like like a vengeful scream, more of like a I don't know what the hell I'm doing. How is this situation going to resolve itself mm -hmm. scream? I love vengeance so much. Just thinking about this, like I would be terrified, mm -hmm. but getting the vengeance is oh, so yeah. important to me in every aspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, there is something exciting, like us against the world kind of thing when it comes to vengeance. Mm -hmm. We just watched a good movie about, about vengeance. Which one? The Northman. Oh. All yeah, about I thought vengeance. that was okay. I didn't Quick review. That. What's that? Quick review. Give me your review because we we both thought it was fun to watch in theater, but I think coming out of it, we think about it differently. I don't even want to review it. It's just like a kind of well done Viking movie about 
I don't even know what it's about. I, I have trouble paying attention in those movies. I was zoning out a lot. It's the story that Hamlet, Shakespeare's Hamlet, was based off of. So it's like the original like Norse mythology story about this Viking Hamlet. But it's very cool because they wanted to make it the most um, historically correct Viking movie of that's ever been made. So like they built the set with tools that they would have used in that time. And they made things perfectly to scale. Like it was really neat. In that regard. And Alexander Skarsgård is pretty cool. Yeah. Is he still an attractive guy? Is he still up there? Oh, yeah. There's a full-on naked fight scene uh, at the very end of the movie with him and then his hot uncle. Hmm. I appreciated that scene. Him or the hot uncle? The hot uncle. You'd rather do hot uncle? The hot uncle is hot. Wow. You saw that, man. He looked good. I just wasn't sure if he he was your type. Oh, more my type than Skarsgård. Wow. I'm tall, dark, and handsome, Shane. Look in the mirror. By the way, speaking of Shane looking in the mirror, tell them what you did to yourself. No mustache. No mustache. You look good, but it's it's interesting to get used to. Better or worse, Alex? You look very hot right now. Mm. So, like you look hot, hot uncle hot right now. Hot uncle. All oh, right. Yeah. But better or worse? Right now, you look better. Before, I thought you looked worse. Like in the first two days after the mustache left, I thought you looked worse. But now I think you might look better. No, this is kind of mean because uh, two days ago you weren't saying like that I looked that bad. No, you looked great. But now maybe it's just what you're wearing. Like you just look really good today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Johnny Depp trial. Oh, God, the Johnny Depp trial. You're scrolling on your phone like you have notes prepared. I do. I, didn't know. I feel like you're uh, in testimony or something. No, I didn't know you were bringing it up. I know we kind of talked about it the other night. But oh, I, you had me howling. Like, I think about, in, in our entire relationship, this is the most you ever made me laugh. <laughs> and I think about it so much, I want to use it on uh, on my, our other podcast. I was going to say Mike Up Much, but now it's called The Best Thing. Um, but, I like, it's everywhere. This Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial is freaking everywhere. I can't do anything. Like, I can't go in to eat a lunch without hearing about it. I can't open up my phone without seeing highlights about it. It's absolutely everywhere. And there are ridiculous things coming out from it every single day. But the thing that pisses me off the most or that is most grating is the fact that Amber Heard is totally being vilified and Johnny Depp is being heralded as this like hero who's putting up with the totally toxic woman. When the thing is they're both disgusting culprits in this and and they're both villainous and they're both abusive and they both deserve to be vilified no matter what the other person did like you could switch let's Mm -hmm. say everything that amber did to johnny let's say johnny did that to amber everyone would still be on johnny's side (laughs) amber heard suffers from having an unlikable face Mm -hmm. so people are just like she's a mean bitch to my johnny and For some reason, Johnny, I didn't know this until the trial, he's like people's Michael Jackson, where people can't imagine the fact that Michael could have, they won't even entertain the fact that maybe he touched children or was weird with kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's a gentle soul. He's the king of pop, all all this. People are just like, she's manipulating Johnny. Johnny's a kind soul. And the text messages, the videos that Johnny's sending, they'll, they'll read real texts that he sent. It's like... Where's that whore goblin that I donated my jizz to? <laughs> Is these that are re- an actual quote? Yes, these are real texts. 
And then they'll oh they'll God. be like, Johnny, did you send that? He'll be like, I suppose I did. And the audience is like, ooh, Johnny, tell us more. He's like, looks like I had too much rum that day. And everyone's just howling. And that rum line is... Like, <laughs> Is, is is close to what your line was, but I was explaining how too. There was one time they were asking Johnny if he uh, woke up at 10 a.m. and had all these shots of uh, alcohol, and then you said, and you you did a bad Johnny Depp in, impersonation, but you went, "Well, pirates like their rum." <laughs> it's just like he's playing up this Pirates of the Caribbean like kind of bad boy. I can get away with anything because I'm kind of cheeky, funny, sly, charismatic. I'm older. I'm a legend. Yes. And Amber's this young piece of shit, you know, who's just cold, cruel and calculated. Toxic. And she very well may be that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's closer to the middle than it is so far on Amber's hate side and so much on Johnny's love. Like, can the man do anything wrong? Can we admit he has an alcohol drug problem? He's intimidating. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a video out where he's slamming cupboards and she's filming him, which, again, it's it's a bit of a sneaky thing to be filming something, but maybe she wants evidence of how Johnny acts because... She's probably scared. And no one believes that people... This Southern gentleman thing keeps Mm -hmm. coming up. Johnny's the perfect Southern gentleman. And he might be to strangers, but in a relationship, he might be crazy. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to catch this because everyone's gaslighting Amber to say Johnny's the perfect guy. So in this clip, Johnny's smashing cupboards and like, did you have a bad day today? Because I did. And then he grabs this big thing of wine and fills this huge, what's being called a mega pint <laughs> of, of wine. And he's being intimidating. And they're like... Johnny, can you admit that you were intimidating in that video? It's like, not particularly. Maybe if you were a cupboard. Oh, my God. And they're like, would you say that you're bigger than Amber? Not really. What? (laughs) And then it gets kind of a laugh from the jury. So I, I was talking to your cousin. Yeah. I thought he was just saying he's kind of a diminutive man or small. But your cousin... Said He's, he was making, he was fat shaming. Yeah. Amber. Yeah. Because so, did she just have a child recently or something? She did. Yeah. Okay. She has a, a young daughter. So it's just wild. And the things he can get away with is absurd. People are swooning. This is the thing. And, and not just at the trial, because I was reading about women. I was telling Shane, there are women and men who have left their jobs, like, put in vacation time at their places of work, told their families, I will be back in two weeks or three weeks, whatever. And they are flying to the trial just to stand outside with, I love Johnny. We're here for you, Johnny signs. Like they are putting their life on hold to show a total stranger, alcoholic, abusive personality that they love them. And that is so bizarre. But then it's in comment sections too. I found one, there was a post on Facebook. It was like put out by some cinema club. Okay, so Mm -hmm. it's like they consider themselves to be a proper society thing. Will Smith and Johnny Depp are the reminder to all men that you can have good looks, have all the fame in the world and enough money to last a thousand lives. But if you don't have a good wife as a life partner, your life will be miserable. A good woman is worth more than all the gold in the world. If you found one, consider yourself rich. Wait, is Jade a good woman or not? Well, this is saying that Jada and Amber are responsible, essentially, for Johnny and Will's 
bad behavior. And I think it goes so much farther than just like Amber being unlikable, which kind of is. But it's just, you know, like men that we've all kind of grown up to trust. I mean, I think of Crybaby and I'm swooning too. But it's that's not who they always are. And you, you can't judge somebody by a movie role. Well, why does everything need to be hero and villain? Why does yeah. one person have to be bad and one person have to be good? Can't it be so close to the middle that it's pretty much a tie? Yeah. Isn't aren't most arguments like some are very wrong, but usually you got into an argument for a reason because one person was kind of wrong and the other person was mm-hmm. kind of wrong and the way they reacted was wrong and the, what the person did was wrong. But no, people don't want to do that. It's just Johnny's right. Amber's wrong. Just look at her. Let's cancel her. She's a liar. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we don't think that about Amber, but let's start thinking that maybe Johnny made her some certain way or react out in some way. Yeah. Because no. it seems very possible from the, the text messages I've seen and the video I've seen of, of Johnny. And he's openly talked about cocaine and alcohol abuse and opiate abuse. But you need to check it out. If you're if you're listening to us talk about this, we are not exaggerating in the least. Just go type in trial footage and you're going to see videos of Johnny like smirking and trying to be like devilish and kind of playful almost. And then the audience... The audience, I'm calling the 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 court. It is an audience. Why why do we even have these people? Yeah. And why are they allowed to laugh? Can if we are going to televise it, can we not just have a dead silent courtroom yes. with jurors in a soundproof room? Because that is it's very swinging. influential. Yes, it's swinging, swaying, swaying <laughs> the oh, jurors. Yes, it's going to sway the jury, the jersey, but the what jury. Was, what was the thing that made Johnny so popular that just he's there he wait that the jurors are putty in his hands or the audience in the courtroom was it shakala i was jane you beat me too. i was gonna say first it was crybaby then it was taking that bad boy hunk to shakala giving him just you know that long hair and heart and softness tenderness and then the jack sparrow thing you know he's a dirty pirate but you still got the hots for him he likes his rum right <laughs> What if he was just the Whitey Bulger? Though, like, let's say he came out as this up-and-coming actor at age 50, kind of like Dennis Franz. And Whitey Bulger was his role, where he's this Irish gangster. I wonder if women would still be sympathetic towards him. No, no. And it's, men. It's the whole, I think it's the whole Johnny Depp package. Like, I grew up, when I was young anyway, my main hunks mm-hmm. were Johnny Depp, Bruce Willis, yeah. Like Kevin Costner. Okay. But Johnny Depp was just hotter. I mean, he's hotter than Bruce Willis, right? <laughs> <laughs> One of the only men who is. But I, like, he occupied this, like, special space of, like, talented, charming, and super handsome men that, like, you swoon over as, like, a teenage girl. But if he's an asshole, he's an asshole, and you can't. Are you attracted to Johnny now? No. No. Are you charmed by him at all? Not in the trial, but pre-trial. Now I just can't help thinking, oh my God, like you're awful. And it, it ruins and it's so sad because it's like, oh, like I really wanted to love you forever type thing. And uh, so it sucks. But I mean, pre-trial, yeah. Still still charming, you know? Yeah, I wonder the last movie where, where you still think he's kind of got it. And then the next movie where you're like, he's lost it. The pirate movies, I think he's quite charming. Okay. 
and because his looks, even though they're like getting a little hard, and you know he's, well, he's wearing a lot of makeup too. The eyeliner. But, he, but what I'm saying, they, they his his looks, sans makeup, and the hard life he's lived, they go into that character, so it it turns it into a total charming thing. But without the character, I don't know if he is the same yeah. kind of cachet. Yeah. And even if he wins this case, she can still appeal. So we might have plenty more hours of entertainment ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got, Al? I say, Shane, that's that's the intro. And we are going to throw to Sonia Curry right now. Okay. We'll throw her the ball. But before Ooh. we do that, let's tell everyone who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs, who make... The best bras, nursing bras, everyday bras that you can get your hands on. Shane, do you find them supportive? I find that they do the trick. Do you find that they are comfortable, buttery, some might say? I find them to be perfectly buttery. (laughs) It's my Johnny Depp (laughs) testimony voice. And it's not just me or any of my friends that I've gotten onto these bras. Of course, I discovered them when I was nursing my first daughter and I haven't looked back since, but on well.ca, like go anywhere these bras are reviewed and the reviews are out of this world, like out of basically 30,000 reviews on well.ca, they got a 4.8 out of five. But are they Russian bots? No, Okay, Shane. I'm just asking. I'm in trial mode, okay? This Johnny <laughs> Depp thing has me questioning everything. No, they're, they're real people reviewing this because they are so great. They are so supportive. They are so practical. And most importantly for me, they are so comfortable. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com and you can head to the Canadian website for access to the new everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off your order. That is huge. So again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. But we are also supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor that you can find on the market. How do you know that? Because I've done research. Before we partnered with Miku, I was like, okay, we need a good monitor for baby Betty when she was born. Where are we going to look? And honestly, Shane, I looked at so many YouTube videos. I read so many internet reviews. They all led me to Miku. And I'm so glad that we've been partnering with them because I'm so happy to sing their praises. One of my favorite things about Miku is that the monitor, it just, it makes no physical contact with your kid like other smart monitors. They require your baby to wear a sock or put something around their chest. It just seems uncomfortable. Right? It's so uncomfortable. And what if they kick it off? Like there's so many variables, but Miku works with your smartphone to alert you of the changes to your baby's vitals, their breathing and nursery conditions with this sensor fusion technology. It's like military grade. Woo. All right. It's it's up there. It's for smart people. What if one of those hackers wants to get into the mainframe and look at your kid while they're sleeping? We've already established military technology. They use crypto security, babe. There's no hacking. No hacking. So if you hear somebody speaking on a monitor, it's probably a ghost. That's even scarier in some ways. <laughs> 
But yeah, they can be hacked using crypto security, so you can feel really safe. The monitor also offers HD video and photo, and it has, of course, great night vision. It's better quality than our plasma screen. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But there's also custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, so you can calm down your baby and you can get, you know, original sleep sounds and lullabies that Miku has made. It's really like an amazing package. You can get the monitor at MikuCare.com. And if you use the promo code FAMILYTREE10, you're getting 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREE10. And now let's get to our interview with Sonia. Sonia, you are, of course, you're an athlete. You are an educator. You run a Montessori school. You are a podcast host for Raising Fame. And you are the mother of three incredibly successful and famous children, of course, Steph, Seth, and Sidel. So thank you for sitting down with us today. I was very excited to talk to you about you and your experience and what helped shape you and your values. And I'd like to start with your upbringing, because I know that that was very different than the one that you were able to provide for your kids. Yes. Well, it was different in the one sense that I was raised by my mom. So in a single parent home for most of my, my mom got remarried when I was five. And so my dad, who I call dad now, was gracious enough to adopt me, give me his last name. And then I think they divorced when I was age 13. And so I really come from a strong background of women. So watching them that's different than the home that uh, my three children with both Dell and I have being married and raising them. So, and that was, that was really one of my main focuses. Um, not to sound like, you know, we were in trouble or anything, but it was always at the forefront of my mind that, you know, I wanted to provide that for my children. I wanted them to be able to have their dad there. I wanted them to, to see the balance in what a man a father and a woman and a mother bring to the family dynamics and raising them. And especially with having a boy, two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, being raised by your mother and other strong matriarchs in your family, how did that kind of help create the mother who you became? Like, did you have different values, do you think? Well, it actually just gave me strength. I mean, it made me really, really confident in my ability to raise them um, because I saw them do it. I saw them be the dad. I saw them be the mom. I got to see kind of the balance of, I guess what you would say with the dads being more firm and then the moms being more loving and, and, you know, sharing that the dads being supposedly in traditional sense, the breadwinners. And then, you know, the, the women, being the homemakers, I actually got to see a woman bring home the bacon, <laughs> be a breadwinner. And uh, so it gave me more confidence as a woman to actually run my home and uh, raise my children. So I was never really afraid of that. And where I, you know, sometimes I'll see some women who doubt themselves. I never really doubted myself <laughs> at That's all. That's amazing. <laughs> now, obviously, in your household, athletics became very important. In fact, uh, yeah. two or three of the children, that's their full-time job. When you were growing up, was there an emphasis on athletics? Oh, yes. The the town that I was raised in, which was Radford, Virginia, our family was known as the athletic family. So, you know, cousins, 
before me, cousins before that, aunts and uncles, even my mom um, went to high school at the same high. So I got to go to the same high school that my mom went to have the same teachers. And, and so that's just what we were known for. And that's what we are. We're just athletes. So, you know, and then meeting Dell and us getting married and he came from a very same kind of thing, the same a small country town and his family was known as the athletes and <laughs> played every sport. If there wasn't a snail a Adams or a Curry in some sport, every part of the year in every season, something was wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and how do you find your sport? Was it just right away? You were like volleyball's the thing I want to get into, or did you try everything and volleyball was just something you really excelled at? I tried everything. I was just one of those kids. I don't know. I don't know what it was about me other than just being very competitive. I tried out for, uh, you know, the band flag where you twirl the flag. I made it and then I quit. I tried out for cheerleading um, one year just to see if I could make it. Made it and I quit. And then just kind of settled in on, uh, because when I, you know, in the 80s, you could play three sports. So it was expected. So Fall, I think, was volleyball, then came basketball, and then I ran track in the spring. So, and it was just something for me to to be engaged in, too, because I, I, I just had to be busy. I just couldn't sit at home, so... I have the same feelings about when I was in high school, so I played everything. I tried out for every team. I'd make every team. I didn't like every sport, but... Like I, Shane and I both played basketball. I loved basketball and I loved soccer. Everything else I didn't really care for, but I just wanted to go. Like I wanted the day off school to hang out with my friends at a tournament, things like that. And I loved the fact that I got to play everything. And I really got to find out, hey, basketball is my favorite. But I was going to ask you this question later, but since it's coming up, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, kids are being raised now? And parents are very much, you know, focusing on one activity, whether it's a musical thing, whether it's a sport. And, you know, we had that experience, that background of kind of getting to sore outs everywhere. So Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? Is it a good thing, bad thing? I think it's an excellent. I mean, I mean, we have so many different talents that we can excel in and sometimes just engaging in another discipline or activity actually helps you improve in the one thing that you're actually meant to really do and excel in that. Um, and I, I was just reading something that said, you know, we, we have a potential out the wazoo, but what is our purpose? So, you know, some of those other activities provide the potential for us to be as great as we can be in the thing that we've called to actually be our purpose. And so, yes, I encourage, but it's so hard nowadays. Society just makes, after running my school and, you know, being around over almost 3,000 students over my career and then the parents, there is so much pressure on parents just choosing a day, just choosing a preschool. It's like, you know, oh my gosh, what if I mess up? What if I mess up? Or the Joneses kind of thing. Well, this, you know, my friends are doing this and getting pressure Mm -hmm. to do that. And, you know, there's been lots of times where I spent lots of time with parents in my office, just saying, breathe, Yeah. like Mm -hmm. just breathe, just make the best decision you can make right now. But if you're making it because you feel like you're being pressured, then that's probably not the best decision. And that's the pressure that they're putting on kids in middle school and high school is pick one sport and then play it year round. And then you see a lot of kids getting burned out. And so, no, I am still a proponent of 
at least two sports if you can do it and add in an art form as well. Just do it. Just do it. Just to see who you are, explore who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And you're going to, you're going to walk right into what you're meant to do. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned pressure. That's what I actually wanted to talk about. For me, I felt like I was such an excellent basketball player. Like I I was convinced I was going to make the NBA and then a crowd walks in and I'm terrible. I can't handle the pressure. I was so good in practice and such a great one-on-one player, but I mentally, I would fall apart at pressure. How did Mm -hmm. you as a a player growing up and then eventually raise children to handle pressure? Like what's the secret there? I mean, I I answer this, I get this question a lot and I answer it not trying to really sound haughty, but Mm -hmm. it is something that's really in you. You know, it, and, and again, if that's what you're meant to do, it's already in you. Um, you know, we come from a very spiritual family. Yeah. And so common thing between Montessori education and our Christian uh, walk and faith is that we feel God already knows what you're going to what he what you're destined to be when you get on this earth and what he wants to use you for how to be used as a vessel and with Montessori we believe that if we just get out the way and let the child unfold provide what they need to you know build that muscle and experience community and learn those skills learn the skills they need that's our role Uh, And they'll tell us everything that we need to know if we watch and we listen. Same thing with our Christian walk is that a lot of times with religion, it's like go to church and do what everybody else is doing. Well, encourage a personal relationship. So I say all that to say it's in us to Mm -hmm. be good at what we're supposed to be at. Mm -hmm. Like we can't accomplish a lot of other things because we're human. We're, you know, that's a beautiful thing about being a human is that (laughs) we adapt well and we can create new things and experiences for ourselves. But there is a certain thing we are purposed to do. And uh, you just got to dig deep in it and you got to train it. You got to train it. You got to bring it out. You got to go exercise like you do in sports. Well, you know, I would train my children get up at 6 a.m. and do devotion. Mm -hmm. We're all tired. We're grumpy. We don't want to do it. But you got to train your body to wake up, put God first, and then move on. So, you know, where they really, I believe they were getting some out of scripture, but they may not have been, but (laughs) they were still getting up at 6 a.m. to do it. So, And that that instills a lot of of different values, right? And I think my question from that is like you teach and you run a Montessori school and that is so child-led like you were saying so when do you as a parent know how to step in so we have two girls like our oldest is three our youngest is nine months so we got some time to go but how do you know when to step in it's like okay my child really has a propensity for this you know maybe it's painting or maybe it's soccer but I really want them to start playing the piano, start playing the violin. How do you know when to step in and say, okay, like I know you're leading this way, but I really want you to try this without being, you know, overbearing and. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just present it to them. That's what we do in Montessori is we fill the classroom with tons of experiences and the child navigates to it. And sometimes, yes, we have to give you a lesson. You have to get this lesson. So we'll give it to them and then we'll step back and see what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times you, well, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, you'll get more by your adults now. And, you know, and you look back with your parents and what they forced you into and, and the things that really they just kind of let you 
explore yeah. on your own terms is what you committed to, right? Because you don't want that pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a difference between gently guiding and pressuring um, an individual. And so just present it, present it, try it. You know, I always tell our kids, try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it again, Mm -hmm. but you have to complete this. (laughs) So you have to complete this season, but you don't have to play again. And that always seemed to work. They they felt more empowered to say, I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Do you think Montessori, obviously you think it works, but do you think it works for every child? It works for every child. It doesn't work for every adult (laughs) because your expectations are now, 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 product, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, even for special needs or uh, what's the politically correct way, right? uh, To say it with uh, exceptionalities, exceptional Mm -hmm. learners. There we go. (laughs) Exceptional learners is you just have to have smaller groups. So there's, you know, Montessori in general tends to be, you know, larger numbers, 15 to 20, maybe 25 students in the classroom for the community part of it. But you just have to scale it back for the exceptional learners, perhaps learn how to possibly integrate them better within the mainstream of the classroom as well. So there's different things you need to adjust. But the concept is definitely works for everybody because everybody has something to work on. So you'll have the child that drags on and doesn't seem to be motivated. Well, you got to have to give them some natural consequences. And then they go, oh, now I'm motivated because Mm -hmm. now I've got a pile of homework or whatever project. So and now we're finding that it's really being integrated into the elderly community as well um, with Alzheimer's and dementia. Oh, wow. And did did Seth and Steph uh, and Sadell go to Montessori for their entire school career? Sixth grade. To sixth grade. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. So they they eventually went to a a, a traditional high school. Traditional middle school and high school. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about so you were pretty young when you started to have children. Like, I think you had Sidel, your youngest at was it 28? 29. OK. Yes. And, you know, that's when I had my first. And <laughs> I was, you know, I was a very different person in my 20s. than obviously I was in high school and I was a different person than I am now. Like I have mm-hmm. grown so much. Thank God we all do. But having kids so young and having to you know, deal with those responsibilities as somebody in your early 20s. What changed for you, if anything, or were you totally prepared for that? I was totally prepared. I really was, I think. But I was one of those that always knew that I wanted to have children and be married early. So it it was kind of a goal for me, like, I'm ready to do this thing. (laughs) And I think I was just so young that I didn't think, you know, I look back now and I had Stefan at 22 and then Seth at 24, 25, went back to Virginia Tech to finish my degree for a whole year because I left a year early and Del and I got married, had Stefan. And so I went back with a just turning three-year-old, one-year-old, took 19 hours and then 18 hours and got my degree. And wow. then I've, I've worked my whole time of being you know, married and raising them. And so... It, People say, well, how'd you do it? And I said, I think I was just too dumb to know not to do it. I just think I was just like, you're young. You got a different kind of energy. Yeah. 
and you just kind of burn it, you know, the candle both ends and you just do it. You just get it done. But I do, I've gotten the question, would I change anything? And I sometimes wonder, should I have waited, stay at home mom, waited till they at least got in high school or out of high school and then started my career? I often wonder about that, but, you know, you can't go back and change anything. And I don't know what that would have looked like. So, you know, I just lived my life. I didn't second guess it and just did it. Do you think birth order has an effect on children at all? Like Steph is such a a humble leader. Do you think if he was like the second born or the youngest, it would be different for him in his MBA career? Well, there's definitely some truth in birth order. I'm an, I'm the oldest and my my siblings and I'm just like Stefan from the standpoint of I am blaze the trail. I just kind of do it. And I am a I, I don't know if I'm an A type personality or not. He definitely is. But I think I should get everything quickly. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. If there's any kind of challenge, I sometimes get frustrated with that. And I'm a pretty much a perfectionist. And then you know, looking at Seth, Seth's our laid back. Okay, let me just watch. Very observant, <laughs> slow to move. I'm gonna give you what I'm gonna give you. <laughs> I can give you more, but if you don't ask for it, I'm probably not gonna give it to right. you. And then um, Sadell's our social butterfly. She's just like she's kind of a mixture of both. And so, even running the school, I've seen that. And that was part of Montessori is just putting the, the triple age, uh, three age groups in a classroom because you you get that. You get the oldest student in the class, the middle and the youngest. And so uh, a lot of parents that just had one child would say, we love this because they actually ha- get that experience of having multiple siblings as well. And obviously your children are competitive, like they've being in that atmosphere, it it has to be. But how do you like? I'm jealous of Steph Curry, for instance. Like I could, <laughs> shocking. I, I I couldn't imagine if he I was am my, too. I. If he was my brother, I don't know, yeah. like how I'd walk the line of being supportive and not jealous. Like, how do you foster not being jealous amongst your other, yeah. like very successful siblings? Yeah. And it's a natural human thing. And I would hear that often with Seth. Oh, y'all treat Stefan differently. Oh, Stefan, they'd be out, they'll be out in the back playing basketball. He's cheating. You won't call fouls <laughs> on him. Yeah, you know I mean, I constantly. And he'd come in the house mad. And I'm like, no, I had to shut that down. I had to shut it down and say, there's no comparison. The only person making the comparison is you. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to treat you fairly, but we're not going to treat you the same because mm-hmm. you're two different people. Like we have to approach you differently than Steph and Stefan brings different, a different dynamic relationship with us than you do. So we have to adjust as parents to, to that as well as with Sadell. So whenever that would kind of rear its ugly head, I would I would deliberately have to go at it and say, you know, no, we're not having that. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about having, with Stefan's personality is he didn't, he didn't make it worse on us. Like he was more humble. And there were times where he was like, no, I'm going to shut you down on the basketball court. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to give you anything, which worked in Seth's you know, on Seth's behalf because he had to work harder. But Seth always knew his brother loved him. Mm-hmm. So he knew Stefan was fair. He knew he was giving and open. And so that helped a lot, but yeah, that's a, that's a, human 
tendency that we have and you just have to nurture it. You just kind of have to guide it. You and Steph obviously look alike. It's undeniable. And there is, um, without having favorites, is it possible that you have a special bond with Steph that's different than the other children? Or is that not accurate? (laughs) You're trying to get me in trouble. (laughs) The truth is I was watching Sidel's YouTube channel and she almost implied that. So I wanted to ask. No, they all do. They all say, Steph, are you a favorite? When I actually spend more time with Sidel, than I do of either one of them. We spent, I spent a lot more time start initially with Stefan because he had the first grandbaby. So yeah. it was, yes, I'm going out to help Stefan. But to answer your question, on, honestly, you do have a different bond with each one of your children. For example, Seth, like, he's a loner. He doesn't really like, like if we're in the living room and you ask him three questions, that's too, too many. <laughs> and, and he'll leave the room. You'll look up and you're like, dang. And so, you know, you, you're like, okay, you can't really ask him questions to talk to him. Not. So, you know, it depends on what you mean by bonding. And I had to come to grips with that too, yeah. because it was like, what does it really look like? And being one of four siblings myself and watching my mom and the relationships with each one of us, you know, we say our baby sister is the, or it's our favorite. Mm-hmm. Right. And we actually had to come to a come to Jesus meeting about this a few year, years ago. And it was like, it is what it is. Yeah. Like we all got to work on our own relationships with our parents and let it be what it is. And we have to stop comparing it. It is what it is. So I know, Shane, I know you have a question, but I oh, just yeah. want to say I became a happier person when I came to terms with the fact that my younger brother was the golden child. And I was, when I became yes. okay with that, then all of life just got brighter. So I, I definitely uh, can attest to that. But yes. I feel like your parents are closer to you in a way. Yeah, yeah. They're closer to me. It's and that's the thing about bonding is so interesting because they yeah. are closer to me in a sense that we talk more and we have more of a relationship. But no matter what I do, he's a golden child. Right. You can't yeah. do anything about it. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's a, yeah. He just requires a little bit different stuff. From, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they know what we know, what we can get out of each one of our children, even for ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of times of what we, we neglect is looking like, what are we getting from our parents mm-hmm. and what are we wanting from them? And it's less of our, our parents really issue as it is our own, like you just said. Yeah. Yeah, for me, when I say special bond, I guess what I mean is that I feel like I'm like-minded with my daughter and we have a similar personality, so I understand her more. Whereas my other daughter, I can tell she's going to be quieter and more calm Mm -hmm. than me. So I don't love her any less. She's not (laughs) not my favorite. It's just I don't understand her the way I understand my daughter, Lucy. And that's all I mean. You know what I mean? Right. And sometimes, I mean, when you're in a long relationship and in a marriage... You know, and Del and I have been married 32 years. It's like sometimes you see your other spouse in that person, yeah. <laughs> in your child, and you're like, okay, so that shows, uh, you know, I really struggle struggle with that, and I struggle with that with my spouse. And it's like, you act like your daddy, you act like your mama kind yeah. of thing. And so, you know, that's part of it. You're exactly right of understanding the personalities. Uh, it's easier with the other one because they don't challenge you as mm-hmm. much. Yeah. I was reading that you were a, you were considered a strict parent. Now, what what is the definition of that? What is strict and what is just being a parent? I love that question that you how you just stated that because 
I think the negative part is that the world makes it strict. And, you know, I have this mantra just of dare to parent, whatever that looks like, dare to parent. And for me, it was I we had some rules and regulations that didn't necessarily line up with the culture that we live in now. You know, my kids couldn't date till they were 16, even though I know they were probably doing it anyway. And I didn't even know, you know, they had a boyfriend <laughs> at school or a girlfriend at school or whatever. Couldn't have a cell phone back then till they were 16. They had curfew, depending on the year that what grade they were in. So it was ninth grade is 9 p.m., 10th, you know. So we had rules. And again, those who said that I was strict just meant that really it didn't go with what what they how they thought, how they parent. Uh, but then I also followed up on it. So I think that's the other thing is you can put a lot of things out there. But, you know, sticking to the consequence of you not you know, following the expectation is where you also get the label of being strict. And being the strict mom, it's obviously harder to be their friend. And some parents want to be the friend. Were you able to navigate that balance of being kind of their buddy too, or no? And I used to always say, I'm not your friend. Like God's gonna, God's going to put your friends in your life for a reason. I mean, I even have this. I I have a best friend whose daughter's a freshman now in college, and I I tend to think that she might have the best balance of being a friend and a parent uh, that I've seen. But I wasn't raised like that. I wasn't mm-hmm. raised to be, you know, my mom's friend or she the expectation. She was like, I mean, we were always letting know I'm the parent and you're the child. Yeah. So so that stuck in from how in me from how I was raised. And even now I'm like, there's some things I don't want to know. Like you call your friend and, and say that because in me, it just there's sometimes a, a conflict in that. Like, mm-hmm. again, being your friend to me, and I've seen some examples where parents have been more friend than parent, hasn't sat well with me. And so I didn't want to put that out there like that and feel like I fall short of it. So, you know, maybe some of it was just me compensating for not wanting to fall short. But no, I just felt like your friends supposed to be your friends and your parents supposed to be your parents and we can be friendly and I want you to come and share things with me um, if you want to. And I'm not going to judge or ridicule you, but I don't want that's not my goal. It mm-hmm. wasn't my goal. And do you think that some of their success can be attributed to that relationship you had with them? I think again, going back to training, like I being an educator and being a parent, I think probably my biggest balance was balancing that being an educator and then coming home. And then where do you just like, mom, you're home. You're not a teacher. You're not the head of school. You're not the teacher. Like I, I have to admit, I had to really work hard at that, that balance. But I think the training going back to not being afraid, working hard, pressing through things, it's more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing. So, you know, my children got to uh, experience what it felt like to not be able to do what everybody else was doing. You survived. Guess what? You survived. And people talked about you. People put sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you, right? So they got to feel that at a young age, how to be ostracized, how, you know, and it's okay. 
Like it's okay, but look, you made this decision and look what the outcome was. So I try to set up a lot of those experiences for them so that when they did become an adult or at least go off to college, it wasn't a big shocker for them. When kids test boundaries and they inevitably will, what is an appropriate way to punish them? <laughs> I need some tips. You know, I, I need I, tips. I kind of, you know, being politically correct, you know, we don't say punishment anymore. Oh, Montessori, okay. we, Montessori, we couldn't say punishment. It was natural consequences. So, okay. you know, like example dishes, you know, mm-hmm. we all had a chore. And if, so they had dishes for the week. It was one day, it was three days, dishes were piling up. I mean, you know, I'm like clean up. I'm the cleanup person. And I was like, oh, I want to touch these dishes. And I had to say, Sonia, no. So it was the third day and they came home. He's like, what for dinner? And I was like, well, your dad and I are going to go out to eat dinner because I can't cook. There is no, there the dishes all dirty. I'm not cooking in this kitchen. There's not. And they're like, well, what are we going to eat? And I said, well, whatever's in the pantry, mm-hmm. y'all eat. But nothing will get cooked in this house until these dishes are done. No, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Well, can we have some money to go to it? No, you will find something in this house to eat. That was a natural consequence. Mm-hmm. That never happened again. Stefan didn't do dishes one time. I gave him a warning, second warning, and said, you know, the priority is God first, family second, everything afterwards. So you don't do your dishes? Guess what? You're not playing in this game today. What, mom? It's a big game. Sorry. And you're going to go tell your coach. This is why. We still hear this story all the time. Yeah, (laughs) Stefan couldn't play in this big game that we had. And the coach (laughs) tried to call us to let him do it. And I was like, I'm sorry. Stefan had the choice. He had three warnings. And I wasn't a big yeller in my house. It was like, here it is. And it was so hard. Because I wanted him to win that game. I wanted him to play. (laughs) And I'm just like, what? And I'm looking at him, why did you make me do this to you? (laughs) Well, you're a Well, I I guess you have to prove that you're actually going to do it because so many parents say they're going to do stuff and then they don't. And then it's it's a slippery slope. But did did they lose the game? I don't even remember. Because I think I was just so nervous. I was just like, it was was a lot of pressure to do that. Because then... He had to still go to the game. We still went to the game to support the team. And then other parents are looking at us like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Furious. I don't feel like dancing. Yeah. Oh, man. As a, as a coach, I, I used to coach girls basketball and that would be so hard. Like if your star player is mm-hmm. gone, I'd be furious, but also happy that, you know, values were being instilled. Yeah. And that's something that I wanted to ask you about because you know, you had a different upbringing, like we were talking about, than your children, and you were able to provide an incredible upbringing for your kids. I mean, they grew up in wealth, and mm-hmm. they were basically born in some ways with a silver spoon, right? In yes. some ways. And I was just curious, how do you instill, you know, professional athlete level work ethic yeah. and responsibility and resilience? Like we just had a big conversation with an educational psychologist about the importance of resilience and failing and overcoming failure. Mm-hmm. How do you instill that in your kids when they have so much access to everything? Well, we we kind of limited that access, you know? I mean, we watched a lot of other athletes, children's come to game with big old diamond watches on and 
they were at every game. Our kids didn't get to go to games during the week. We explained to them that that was Dale's job. So we kept trying to em- emphasize that it's your daddy's job. And because it's your daddy's job, it's your daddy's money. <laughs> so we really are only obligated to provide the basics, your food, shelter, clothing, and support you in whatever activities you want to do. Mm-hmm. Your role is to make the most out of that opportunity. And so there were a couple of times where like Sadell would throw a huge temper tantrum, tear up her room. And I went in and took everything out, but two pair of jeans, two shirts, and one stuffed animal and said, look, this is, these are gifts to you. And so you can earn them back with your behavior, or I'll just give it to some other child who, you know, really needs and deserves it. So we, we try to always emphasize that to them that, you know, not to get caught up in uh, the hoopla of the NBA and all of that, because I just felt like one, my children weren't guaranteed, my boys or daughter wasn't guaranteed to play in the NBA. And that was one of the things that a lot of parents, you know, I think they miss sometimes is that, you know, their son, especially is looking at their dad and thinking, oh, and if I got some skill, I'm going to be in Because every child thinks they want to be in the NBA, right? That plays basketball, right? And I was like, no, I don't want to set them up for that. If that's where they're going to end up, they're going to end up through the process. They're not going to end up there just because somebody else has that expectation of them. They're going to have to get there themselves. And did faith have a role in that and in those values and, you know, kind of teaching them not to expect those things? Yes, because when they went to middle school and high school, they went to Charlotte Christian. And so one of the things that Charlotte Christian did is they didn't have any sport activities on Wednesday evenings um, and then Sundays was off limits. And so that was one of the things too, is then, you know, them knowing that certain days were set aside for uh, God every day really is, but there were certain days where there was no sport. So we always try to find a balance between sports becoming the idol versus, you know, God and then our family. And so our kids always, if, if they weren't in another activity, they had to always go support the other sibling. And if there was a choice between if we were doing church or sport, then we would choose uh, church as well. And so again, I, I was always, and maybe too much, you know, sometimes I'm like, tag on, like, what? I mean, did I really enjoy my kids? Do I really, you know? And so those are just some things as parents, we just, we're always going to question, you know, was I too strict? are hard on them but i think they're okay and i yeah. think <laughs> well, of course i think Maybe. they're you know <laughs> mentally you know i think they're okay but and i didn't mess them up too bad all right sonia we are going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by we are supported by true earth and if you listen to our podcast you know that shane and i are on the path to reducing our environmental footprints in ways that you know are easy and good for our family because that's going to look different household to household. But one of the easiest ways that we have figured out how to do this is by eliminating single-use plastics. Single-use, double-use, triple-use. It is not as intimidating as it seems. And one way that we're doing this is by ditching typical laundry detergents and using True Earth Eco Strips. Quadruple-use, five-time-use. 
This detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips. So you just take them out of a little tiny skinny paper package, rip them apart, throw them in the machine. It is so easy and they work beautifully. Plus, since the packaging is so compact, it's drastically changed like how our laundry room looks, how tidy it is. We can fit so much stuff on the shelves now. And as a family with kids who have really sensitive skin, we were, and you know, when the babies were really young, opting for the fragrance-free and the baby detergent, which is amazing because it was gentle on everyone's skin, yet still so effective. But they just came out with a new scent and it is gorgeous. It's called Lilac Breeze. It smells beautiful and the kids love it. Still gentle on our skin, still works amazing on dirt and like grimy clothes. I had to wash, Lucy had a big throw up in the car. We had to wash everything that was in the car, wash it in Lilac Breeze. And you know what? It smells amazing. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use our promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You will love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. But we are also supported by... Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make... Like I'm talking the best basics. Usually we save for your littles, but they just started their new Emin West collection, which is now making the best basics for women for too. women. It's amazing. Mini Miosh and Emin West are now making fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless. And they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. Like it really is the best staple to have in your closet. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Their women's collection, which I am obsessed with, is so simple. Everything is French terry. Like it's just got a great summer feel. I feel like Princess Diana, you know, when she put on like a sweatsuit and just still looks kind of regal. That's how I feel when I wear it. It's amazing. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Plus everything, you know, with Emin West, just like with Mini Miosh, is ethical and sustainable. Because Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find them online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. It is one use per customer. And again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get back to our interview with Sonia Curry. I think everyone is obsessed with the Curry family. And I I think about other superstar athletes. If LeBron James' mom was walking out, if I passed her on the street, I wouldn't recognize her. But why do I know what you look like? Like, why are are you so popular? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, the Davidson run did it. um, And, you know, and once the world gets a hold of what they think, sales and mm-hmm. and i do act a little crazy in the stand sometimes <laughs> um dell is really stoic and like you know kind of thing and i'm like yelling and and in a good way sometimes but they just took to us but that's a challenge too we've talked about that like people have labeled us as first family vmba and you know, and we are, we struggle just like everybody else. I mean, we struggle in our marriage. We struggle, you know, with our family. And we've asked not to show us as much because 
I don't get to enjoy the games as much because I'm worried about what they're showing and, you know, and some vanities in there too. I'm like, Oh, do I look right? Is my hair right? You know, all that. So I'm more nervous about the camera than I am really about enjoying the game. And it takes away from that personal experience of being able to just watch my child play. And so that's why that they just put us on TV too much. And they, and people generally do love Stefan. Like I, I get choked up a lot when I talk about it. And I say him, you know, same thing with Seth. Seth's still a little quiet, but God gave Stefan that high profile platform and stage for a reason. And when I hear, you know, older women, Graham, who never, who haven't watched NBA in years and maybe never are staying up on the East Coast at 10 o'clock at <laughs> night to watch him because they say he just brings joy to them. I'm like, what parent just. And he does me too. Like when he was out for a year, I was like, I can't wait for you to be sorry. I can't wait for you guys to you to be playing. I miss watching you play. Like as a fan, mm-hmm. you he just he's just so joyful. He's just a big kid out there. Just well, he changed he changed the game. If Steph Curry was never born, the game of basketball would be very different today as yeah. we know it. That just just the way the the three point shot is now. It's totally different. But are you able to miss a game? Yes, there's a lot of games. Yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. I was going to say, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was telling somebody they couldn't believe the other day, and I, I write all the games down in my calendar. And so now I have Stefan, I have Seth, and I have Damien. So my daughter's husband plays on the Warriors. And so I would kind of, I don't like them to be hurt, but when they don't play, I'm like, thank gosh, I can <laughs> not watch a game. Um, because I don't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, I don't want to miss a great game. And then I, and Stefan has this great game and I'm in the grocery store and somebody's saying, did you see Stefan last night? And I'm like, Oh no. And that's happened. So I try not to, but that's a lot of games. So at least four times a week, sometimes five times a week, I'm watching at least two basketball games. That's it's a lot. That's huge. Yes. And so that's a lot of basketball after Dell's, 16 year career college like i have been in the gym well all my life since i started playing did you have any reservations about your guy about your boys getting into the nba and competing on such a high level or is it just just pride only or are there any any worries kind of associated with your kids being on such a high level no i don't have any worries whatsoever like it is such a blessing that they get to do this and they're excelling at it and you know they're making a pretty good living (laughs) with it so you know all the things that parents worry about their children I don't have to worry about and so you know when they're hurt their bodies and stuff that scares me but you know again being around Dale being an athlete myself it comes with the territory so you just have to you know bear with it and you know pray every night that they don't get hurt but it's a lot of games um and there's some big dudes out there so (laughs) i've just grown to not worry about that uh, as much your podcast raising fame now i'm not sure if you're still producing this but i i love this idea how did you Mm -hmm. come about it and what made you want to interview other parents of famous athletes well, we were actually, Del and I were approached by a couple, uh, Tracy and Eric, 
um, out of New York. They actually run a, a nonprofit organization for baseball mm-hmm. and in the Bronx. And so through their work and being around different amateur baseball players, realized and talking to parents how it's like parents had so many questions. And so they approached our agent. They came and visited with us and we talked uh, for a few hours and they were like, we want you and Dell to do this. And so then we decided we wanted to go sit in people's homes and be like a kitchen table, living room and just have it really informal. And so we flew around the country doing this. We had a couple of parents come to our home and sit in our living room and, and we interviewed them. And I'm telling you that the wisdom that we gained was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And we wanted single parents. We wanted divorced parents. We wanted, we wanted the gamut. We wanted yeah. a diversified parents to interview. So, because there's some parent out there that's going through this right now with a four, well now shoot with a 12 year old. Cause it's, it's getting younger and younger and earlier and earlier when these, these parents and families are being approached and for their children. Um, and so, you know, if we could help them in any way, that's what we wanted to do with it. We're looking at and talking about this second session of it and how we're going to do it right now. So we should know something in the next 30 to 45 days about that. But what was some w- wisdom that you gleaned from doing it? One of the things that I gleaned was in every one of those situations, every parent dared to parent. Mm. So they were very involved. And there's a, there's a balance between being overly involved sometimes (laughs) and, but all the parents had a good balance of that. And again, we were, we were interviewing the elite athlete parent, and that was a common thing of be present and be involved. And especially when other people start giving their child advice. And then if you don't feel confident, reach out to someone else that, you know, because, there's always somebody around that's gone through this before. So reach out. You're not in this by yourself. You don't have to reinvent the wheel or anything. So, so the bow, be involved, be present and be involved. And then the other, the other was provide. Like if you can provide what they need to develop themselves, then do it. You know, it all pays off in the end. But I think that first thing was be present and be involved, be the eyes for your child through the process. So when we are, you know, daring to parent, and I I really love that expression. When you think of parenting as a whole, and your kids, especially, what do you think is the most important piece of wisdom or quality that we can impart on our kids? That's a great question. You are worthy. You are special. You are valued and we love you. I think they need to hear that every day. That's not setting them up right. It's just feeding into them life because they, they're going to doubt themselves. We all went through it because we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. So we always need to be that voice of life for our children in a very truthful way. You can find that out. Why were you struggling with this? Let's let's find let's find the information you need. You're you are smart. You can you can you can 
learn this. You can discover this. You can find this. But just speak life into your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in a truthful way, yeah. um, not a false way. <laughs> Don't puff them up at all. Just just speak the truth and be 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 a listener. See, that's that that makes me almost emotional because that's as a parent, I think one of the most inherent and natural things to do. And it's so simple. And I think a lot of people overthink parenting. And I know we do sometimes like we're guilty of it every day, you know. And uh, no, I think that's that's a very beautiful way to to put it. And I would tell parents at my school, they come to school all day long. They're with us eight hours. When they get home, let them be at home, (laughs) you know, be at home. You be with them. Let them be with you. Yes. Get your homework done at this time, whatever, and get that out the way. So now we can be with each other, because when you look back and you're at my age and you look back and you go, and especially because I didn't, I didn't stay at home. I worked like really the hours that we actually are with them is not as much as we think we are. That's why summertime we're like, when is school going to start again? <laughs> I need, we need routine and y'all need to get to school. Like, and going through yeah. COVID, like I've had tons oh of conversations goodness. and questions about what has COVID taught us and parents going, I really didn't know my child. Like I thought I did, but I've gained so much respect for teachers. They would say that because they know more about my child than I did. And you know, just the time that it gave you back to be with them and how hard it really is, you know, really. But then some adjustments. And like they said, that's what we needed. We needed to figure out how to adjust and then now how beautiful it is. Is is there any takeaways from this pandemic that you're going to apply once this is all done with? Yes, that I didn't need to do or have three-fourths of the stuff that I have and that I've been doing including resources, including time, where I actually allocated my time physically. Like it isn't really all that it was cracked up to be, you know, like we just keep adding stuff to our play. We need to, it's, we need to be busy. And I was busy being busy and not being productive in the way that I felt God wanted me to be productive. So, you know, again, it's like playing house, kind of in my life. It was plain life. And I, I really realized that life took me on a spin, even through the experiences with Stefan's success, Seth's success. It was like, whoa, whoa, being on TV a lot, doing all. And I was like, hey, I didn't ask for all this. And and then I started believing some of the hype. I started believing, oh, hey, you know, we are our first family, we, you know, and I need to act this way or be this way. And I was like, I lost me. Like, I need to, I'm quiet. I'm honestly quiet. <laughs> you won't believe it. <laughs> Unless you want to talk about Montessori, you want to talk about the Lord, and then otherwise I'm very quiet. And so it was like, I've lost me. Like I want me back. I'm, you know, and I'm going to choose the things now. I'm not going to have them choose me. So that's what I take away from COVID. It's a restart button. Yeah. 
And people who travel a lot, I'm always fascinated about where they consider home. Now, we live in Hamilton, which is an hour outside of Toronto, where you live for a few years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, my dream is to live somewhere where the seasons don't change and the weather's always nice because, you know, Canada can be tough. You're going to miss it, though, when you don't have it. I wouldn't be able to move away. (laughs) Yeah, that's the reason why I probably never will. Happy wife, happy life. Smart, man. Smart. So you've been everywhere. You've done everything. Where do you consider home? I consider home Charlotte. Yeah. And I love I love Charlotte because it's just enough. I'm from Virginia. Mm-hmm. So Char- my home hometown is two hours from Charlotte. So family there, aunts, uncles, that kind of thing. A lot of my family moved to Charlotte. A lot of Dell's family moved to Charlotte. But Charlotte's just enough city for this country girl and just enough. But I can also get to, you know, got the airport there. You can get wherever you need to with most direct flights. You've got the mountains. You've got the beach within driving. So it to me, it's perfect. The perfect scenario going through a little transition right now. And so it's like, how do I balance spending time with all the grandbabies going to California, going to Philly? The beautiful thing is Seth and I mean, Sadell and Stefan are in the same place. So that helps. But if they move and he goes to another team, then that's three different places I have to balance. But that's a good problem to have. Absolutely. <laughs> now, tell the truth and I won't be angry. Uh, did you like Canada? I loved Canada. It was one of the best experiences that we had. The kids went to school there the last year Dell was playing there at Queensway Christian School. It's no longer there anymore. Love the people, love the community. Same thing, lots of things that you could do. Very, very uh, cultural uh, community and city and town. I hated the weather. Yeah. <laughs> We left there June 22nd, school got out and it was 45 degrees. And then three days later, it was 80. And I was like, what in the world is going on here in Canada? So the winter winters tend to be a tad bit long for me there. So that's the only thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I can... Uh... I can hear that. And especially being somebody who loves the seasons, I can still understand that because the winters are even a little long for me. But my <laughs> my final question is, did you ever play sports with your kids? Like, did you ever play one-on-one with Steph? And if you did, do you remember the last time you were able to win a game? No, that's a good question. He was two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would just shoot around with them, but I never really... Shoot, I'm only five five. So by the time they were six, they were probably the same height that I was. So it was like <laughs> I'm not, and um, and I tended to be a tad bit too competitive. So <laughs> it was like I'm not letting you win anyway. Shoot, maybe six seven. That was wild. So, yeah. But Dale would probably have a better response to this than than me. But I don't remember really. I mean, we play like tennis and stuff like that together, but it was mostly fun. It was mostly fun. Yeah. And I I think you mentioned it earlier. This is my last question. But what is the hardest part about being a parent to a superstar? I think the hardest adjustment for me has just been all the attention that you get. Because when Dell played, we didn't even order the newspaper when he played. Because, you know, one day 
they love you and the next day then they're down. So uh, for me, that's been the hardest thing is all the attention that you get. It's hard going to games and listening to people yell stuff at your child because <laughs> at the end of the day, they're still your child and you know they're people are blowing off steam and all that kind of stuff, but they're still your child. So it's hard to hear that. Just the critique, you know, it's the critique all the time, just as much as they're the accolades, it's the same amount of pressure from the naysayers as well. So, you know, people, when you're, when they're stars, they expect you to open their lives up to you. They expect to know more than what they actually really should. They guess about a lot of stuff that they don't know. And so, you know, the lack of privacy and just all the attention, I, I think is the hardest thing, you know, first, as I said, it's flattering, but then it gets old really fast. Do you last, yeah. last question. Do you find it difficult with, um, in some ways losing your identity because inevitably people are going to call you Steph's mom? Yeah, no. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I actually love it. Like, I mean, if, so many other parents could be like, don't call me my child because they're not. Me. <laughs> you know, I know we all love our children, but, you know, I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty good thing to be known as his mother. Um, so I love it. I handle it better than I did people saying I'm Dale's wife uh, because it was like, I want to be my own person and I want to do my own thing and da, 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 da. And I love being his wife, but I am Sonia. Mm -hmm. I would say that all the time. I am Sonia. People say Steph's mom, and I'm like, yeah, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> or Steph's mom, or, you know, Sadell's mom. I'm like, yeah. That's awesome. So, and Sonia, is there any other thing, any projects you have on the horizon or anything that you would like people to, any of our listeners to go check out? And uh, I am writing a book. Oh, so it's, congratulations. That's you. huge. So it has been signed by HarperCollins and we are nearing the end of the, the draft, the first draft. So hopefully it's projected. Initially it was projected the fall of coming up mm -hmm. fall of 21, but with COVID and, you know, all the other books, probably, I don't know now when it'll actually be out, but it's going to be, story format. I want to have people laugh. I want to tell lots of stories about raising, it's about raising the three kids and just God's hand in it and make them making the decisions to go to the colleges they went to, to uh, going pro. Uh, it's going to talk a lot about, you know, rules and stuff that we had at home. <laughs> so it's going to be lots of stories. And again, it's not to be a self-help book. It's to be an encouragement book in saying, you guys got it. You know, there is no rule, uh, rule book for being a parent. Just just do it. Just do it and know that you have support. Know that there's people who uh, understand what you're going through. You're not in this by yourself. And um, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah I'm excited. too. I'm excited. Yeah. And really, even just sitting here in this conversation with you, you know, I know Shane and I are going to leave and we're going to talk about this for the next hour and just, <laughs> about, <laughs> just about the things that we learned from this conversation. And I do feel so fortunate to have had this chance to sit down with you and learn these things. And I'm so happy that more people are going to be able to, you know, have that opportunity through your book. So that's awesome. Congrats. Well, thank you. Well, wish us, wish me luck. And, yeah. Um, hopefully the podcast with the next 45 days, we'll know more about that. And 
we can go from there for someone who doesn't like the spotlight. I think I'm kind of, <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I'm kind of stuck there for a little bit with this, but I'm like, I'm actually excited about the book. I really am excited about it. Well, that's incredible. And truly best of luck with everything. I can't wait till we can get a copy. And Sonia, yeah. thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. You are a wonderful person and yeah, we really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, thank you all. And uh, God bless your family. And what's the temperature in Toronto right now? Whew, I haven't even opened the door today. Ten, I'm scared. 10 Celsius. It, I don't know Fahrenheit. Yeah, it could be very hot. It could be very cold. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. Well, I'm wishing for you guys uh, warm weather and sunny days. So thank take you. care. Oh, thank you so, so much. much. Have take a great care, afternoon. Sonia. Nice meeting you. All right. Okay. Good job, Alex and Shane, because I was in that interview because the really big celebs I need to talk to. You do. And I like it when you're in there. I miss kind of riffing with you in recent interviews. But Shane, do you think, you know, hearing about like the discipline and the Curry family and just the morals and everything that they had because they were raised in a different way than I was and then you were and then our kids are. Do you think our kids can make it to the top level and everything, even though we're not uh, on them? Well, they're three and one. It's hard to get on them. Well, I think you got to have a plan. And like, look at King Richard uh, Williams, right? Venus and Serena's dad. He had some plan, like a 70 page plan written by the time they popped out of the vagina. By the time they were three and one, though? I think okay. the second they were born, I think. I got to rewatch the movie. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, a lot of things are genetic. So if we're playing the odds and what they're really good at, Lucy's already gravita gravitating towards cooking. Mm -hmm. Like your mom's an excellent cook. And art. And art. And Jake is an excellent artist. So she could have that quality. I also think she's fascinated by... Uh, microphones and cameras and she likes filming little blogs for herself i think she could be very good in the entertainment industry yeah maybe she'll have a cooking show maybe she'll combine it all so write <laughs> produce direct a funny cooking show that seems right now if we had to say a career yeah. for her i'd put my money on that betty seems to be a little bit more athletically inclined who knows though like mm -hmm. she's very young she's almost two but I would think we have a pretty good history of athletics within our, our family tree, more so on your side than mine. But my competitive spirit is bordering on uh, unhealthy. So <laughs> that could be used as an advantage, maybe if you combine that with supreme athletic talent. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I think that's a good way to put it. And Lucy is. It's funny because as in an almost four-year-old, she has a total vision for things. Like she'll grab my phone. She taught herself how to use my phone. Like I didn't want her to get comfortable with my phone but she taught herself how to use the camera and the video camera how to flip it both ways turn it on and she will have entire scenes set out in her mm -hmm. head and then she inherently knows how to film them it's amazing to watch like it's so cool and how she makes a crown i know everyone goes on about their kid and how they do everything <laughs> they're the best but just she knows a plan from start to finish mm -hmm. and she knows the ending when she starts the beginning. It's not just like an improv thing. And it blows my mind because I'm not capable of doing that right now. Yeah. Same. I'll just when I'm doing art or whatever, I just kind of start and play around <laughs> and I, I, things start to develop or they don't. Most of the times they don't. She carries it out and it 
the, her creation at the end makes perfect sense in the way she wanted it to work. I don't get it, but hopefully it continues. You know, maybe she's plateaued now and she'll just <laughs> never This improve. is her peak. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You peaked at three, Lou. But Shane, let's get into the questions, listener questions, the mailbag segment. We love this part of the show. You guys write in via Instagram and we research if need be, or we just, we go off and- We go off. Well, I was just- I, Go off. <laughs> go off on the question. They And then we just say Let's go things. off. Let's go let's off. Go All right. First question. Do you think it's easier to raise one gender over the other? I always hear comments like, oh, wait till your daughter is a teenager. It'll be hard. I don't see how it's any different to having a son. I'm with you. I don't think it's any different either. I think kids are difficult and I think teenage years are difficult. And like whether you have a son or a daughter, it's going to be hard when they hit puberty. It's going to be hard when they start making friends outside of the house that you might not know and they want to start, you know, experimenting with boundaries and pushing boundaries and going out and not listening to you. That's going to be tough. Yeah, people like the idea of one gender or the other, but it's rarely probably going to live up to what you imagine is the perfect gender or the better gender in your mind. Like, you know, I think boys are gross kind of, you know, that's my idea of boys in this weird generalized way. But if we had a boy, he could be very neat and Mm -hmm. not gross, you know, and often it's the more you try to like tell God your plans or your whatever, you know, that expression, it's the more likelihood you are to be surprised or wrong. Lucy is very what people might consider a typical boy in a lot of her her actions and behaviors and things that she does. Yet she also loves dresses at at the same way. Yeah. And all that other stuff that's associated with girls and uh, Lucy hates cleaning. She's a messy, <laughs> right? So it's uh, it's interesting when you have a preconceived notion of a gender being better than the other. But I don't think that can be, right? Like there's no. not a better gender. No, no, there's not. And or an easier gender, I guess is the question. Absolutely not. If you ask my parents, you know, they have, I'm the oldest and my younger brother, he's two years younger than me. Good example. Yeah. They might say that I was more difficult and then that might have clouded their opinion. However, that's bull. And they only think I was more difficult because I was the older one and I went through things first. I got caught drinking first. I got in trouble hanging out with friends first. He actually got in trouble more frequently than I did. Alex, you're more difficult than Jake. Jake's very quiet and neat. You're very messy yeah, and Yeah, but I'm talking wild. about like trouble, getting in trouble. Jake's tr- trouble he was- He was more trouble than me. He was hanging around by a crowd. <laughs> you sound like my mom. <laughs> That's always her excuse. It was his friend's fault, not his. You're more of an instigator leader. Not that Jake's not a leader, but you know what I mean? Like, Jake is very calm and quiet. I couldn't imagine him getting in trouble. Shane, the only thing that I like liked to instigate and like to do that was against the rules, I was obsessed for years with uh, mooning pink people and crank calls. Okay, I like to show so, my butt and I like to make a crank call. Yeah, but that's a weird form of assault, I would think. What, mooning? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, so that's not good. And I, you seem like the type who might break mm. into a liquor cabinet before Jake did. And once you do- Because I was older. Okay, but I mean, when Jake was your age, I bet you he broke into the liquor cabinet less. And if he did, he probably did it more responsibly than you. 
Well, because he knew how to do it because I had shown him. All right. I'm, Jake, okay, you and Jake in this age, he seems like less of a, uh, you know, he's, you're a lot. Hey, I think I was probably more fun for my parents to hang around because I was more emotive and I was more passionate about hanging out with them. Yeah. I think Jake was just quieter and he'd be like, great in that he never rocked the boat, but then he wouldn't experience excitement or love to the fullest as well. You know what well, I mean? You know what? You're right. You are better than Jake. <laughs> Suck it, brother. All right. So just joking. My brother's wonderful. Um, He's what? He's wonderful. Oh, I thought you said vulnerable. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have talked about him like this. <laughs> no, he's wonderful. Okay. Next question. Have you ever done acupuncture? Do you think it works? Shane, have you ever done that? No, it's weird. My friend just did it today. John, my friend John Poplis, he his back went out today. Oh, no kidding. So he had to go to like the hospital, not the hospital, but a chiropractor and they did all these techniques on him, like the suction cups yeah. and the acupuncture. Was he playing ball with you too? No. This was, he just, I don't know, held this kid weird or something and tweaked it. He's making pancakes, I think, and tweaked it. Yeah, see, my wonderful and vulnerable brother actually used to get acupuncture a lot mm. because he had really bad scoliosis and then he had all these uh, plantar fasciitis on the bottoms of his feet and just like really wild growing pains. Like I remember he'd come home from school and he would be in so much pain, he'd have to lie on the couch for like three hours before he could even get up and do homework or eat dinner. Like he wouldn't be wow. able to move. My mom would have to bring him like ice or heating pads or something and put him on his legs. He was just went Jeez. through a phase of really rapid growing and was in like in tears. So maybe he is more vulnerable than I'm even yeah. thinking, but he got acupuncture and it seemed from memory like it worked. This is about 15 years ago, but I was looking it up. Acupuncture points are believed to, this is what it said online, stimulate the central nervous system. So that in turn then releases chemicals into muscles, your spinal cord and your brain, that it makes your body feel like these things are being stimulated and then it stimulates your body's natural healing abilities. Mm. And then your body, it's like a psychosomatic thing, but positive. And then your body goes to send all the healing chemicals. That's very cool. Yeah. So it's kind of, and they've been doing it for so long. And it does hurt while you're getting it done or no? Yeah, I, it might. Hmm. It might, especially I can imagine if you had like a newbie, somebody who's just learning, that would probably be terrible. But it could hurt and you could have like on-site bleeding or some pain afterwards for a couple of days. But uh, acupuncture typically lasts and you feel the therapeutic benefits. It's said for three to four days. So, I mean, if you're getting it for something chronic, you're probably getting it a lot. I remember my brother used to go about once a week. But it's, it's a big commitment for this point in your lives, I think, to do anything like that. Like when you have a family and work and everything like that, it's almost impossible. To get acupuncture? Anything where you have to go and lay there for an hour. Oh, where there's a will, there's a way. I don't, Shane, I have like an eye disease and I haven't had time to get that checked out in like three years. Yeah, but seeing isn't that important. <laughs> okay, next question. What do you look forward to most on the weekends? Pizza? I oh. always look forward to pizza. Food is the best, isn't it? Food is Can we agree? The best. The thing I'm most excited about is going to a restaurant, sitting down at a restaurant, eating food at the restaurant. And that's it. Shane, I love when we get pizza on Friday nights. I love the just the luxury of knowing, okay, we're not cooking tonight, although I do love cooking with you. And that's it. I like to keep that a luxury and I like to keep it something that I look forward to and enjoy doing as much as I can. 
And uh, pizza is just so delicious. Oh, my least favorite part is the last slice. Oh, yeah. Because it's like the last day of vacation. You're just dreading when it's over. <laughs> then you got to go back to your regular life. The second that pizza's done, it feels like the weekend's over in a way. You know? <laughs> I like it. And I like that the kids aren't huge fans of pizza, too, so that uh, they don't really eat much. And what I like about pizza, too, is it's not like drinks Mm -hmm. where you can get excited and have too many and then you feel really bad the next day if you have a couple extra slices you can handle it oh you can always handle it like we used to eat full large pizzas to ourselves on friday nights you'd eat a full one i'd eat a full one but we'd split it we'd get a papa john's guy and a domino's guy and sometimes terribly embarrassing they'd arrive at the same time (laughs) Two different delivery yeah, guys coming to the door at the same time. <laughs> they were just kind of confused about what was going on, why people would order two different brands of pizza the same night. So I got uh, pictures with them. It yeah. Was, it was fun. Do you remember the phase where we weren't only getting two large pizzas from different restaurants, but we were getting each our own Domino's, Cracker Crust Domino's. Yes. And then a Papa John's to split. So we were each getting a large Cracker Crust pizza to ourselves and then Wait, a Papa John's. We'd each get a large and a Papa John's? Shane, we did that for about six months after we got married. That was our routine. And then we were like, oh, this is a little too much pizza. And then we cut it back to two larges. Really? Yeah. I knew I something. I can't believe you don't remember that. <laughs> I knew something. Well, I was in a food coma for a year there. <laughs> I knew something was happening, but yeah. yeah. That was happening. That and was we'd fun. wake up every Sunday and there would be three large pizza boxes from you and I. Man. Oh, I love food. <laughs> well, it's the best part of traveling. I love traveling to new places. You know why I like traveling new places? I want to know what they're drinking. I want to know what they're eating. And everything, like all my favorite moments are centered around food all my favorite conversations with friends and family like all my memories from when I was a kid like of my grandparents when they were alive and it was always around a table or in the kitchen what? <laughs> <laughs> just the when they were alive is so uh well, they're all dead. yeah I know but yeah it's just <laughs> if your best memories were from when they had died <laughs> visiting the grave yes. I was actually I ha- at the funeral home I have had a nice, a couple nice times visiting my babcha's grave since she's been dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like memorable. Yes. I guess you can have good grave visits. I guess (laughs) just thinking of having a good time at like an open casket would be weird, right? (laughs) I know what you mean, but it just No, I I didn't mean that. I'm only. Okay. So our recording just cut out. Thank goodness we got that 45 minutes though. Shane, Um, you, I'm just so impressed that you caught it like seconds after it cut out that's amazing because we have had to record this podcast like more than once because we've lost a recording yeah but we were reminiscing good about we were talking about how we like food we we got that part and then we're saying that the other good thing about life Mm. that's really exciting is um getting that perfect buzz on when you have a when you haven't had a a drink in like three weeks and then you have a flight of beer it can be that euphoric fun feeling and it's just so good as an adult that I think when you're younger, you tend to get overserved and overconsume alcohol, <laughs> and then you feel terrible the next day. And you you can't appreciate that drinking a very little amount that gives you that perfect buzz is actually a better feeling than being out of control. Do you remember the first time that you and I sat together and 
appreciated that moment, I guess, because we've had lots of times since. But do you remember the first time? The beer flight buzz. Yes. Only because we're re-recording this part <laughs> and I didn't remember the first time, but it was in PC, Prince Edward County. Yeah. We went to a brewery that weeks before or maybe weeks after had Prime Minister Trudeau there. Yeah. And it was, I think it was called Hinterland Brewery. I don't know that it's- I believe you're right. Yeah. I, I don't even know if it's a brewery anymore. I think it's just a winery now. But it was amazing. It was the first beautiful day of the spring, like the first day where you could sit outside. And you and I were sitting out back. I don't even think there was a heat lamp. And we we're sitting outside during this flight of beer in our winter coats. There was snow all around, but it was still warm enough. And it was just like the most beautiful feeling. And we just, we felt great. Oh, yeah. T okay. Take tasty food and uh, dr tasty drinks out of life. Okay. What's the next best thing? Oh, I guess sex people? Yeah. Think? Okay, then take that away. Travel? Nature, I think. Nature. And, and, and that can be associated with travel or it could just be associated. Like, think of how good we feel, Shane, when we go for a hike or even just like a walk around yeah. where we live. In, being in nature, being at the cottage, being in nature in any capacity, I think brings people so much joy. And I think we take it for granted. Yeah. <laughs> what would you add what would you say no i was just thinking if you're in nature and you're being attacked by animals that might be the exception but that, i'm following a bunch of nature things that specialize in nature animal is lit you need everybody needs to stop what you're doing and go follow nature is lit shane got me on this instagram account two months ago i'm obsessed no, I'm not talking about that one. Although that's a good well, one. A good what happened one. is I started following Nature is Lit. And then all these animal <laughs> attack ones. So it's like humans getting attacked by animals in weird situations. Oh, it's like actually like scary? Yeah. And I'm following all these accounts. There's a C one. There, it's called like Sea Scary or something. And I'm just following all these accounts <laughs> now. So you like you get on me for looking at too much depressing and scary stuff, but it sounds like you're on no, the scary I stuff too. I don't get on you for looking at it. What you love to do is always give me bad news when I walk in, and you're <laughs> you're addicted to weird, horrific news. Oh, Shane, you'll never guess what happened to a mom holding her baby today. Oh, she was blown apart by a rocket launcher. Yeah. It makes me grateful and it opens people's eyes to what's going on so we can help I know, in but some you way. have activated the algorithm where all you get is negative news That's and true. you're addicted to it. It's like gossipy or well, something. Well, because I know I keep looking at it and then you're right. The algorithm just keeps giving me sad news about mm -hmm. kids and moms and that's all I see all day long. And it's like, why am I depressed looking at my phone? Oh, right. Because the only things coming up that I follow are like depressing news stories mm -hmm. about kids and moms. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Anyway, next question. Getting on to happier things. Do you ever feel like you've lost your identity since becoming a parent? Sometimes I feel like I'm only ever seen as mum, which there's nothing wrong with, but I'm still me plus one. So do you feel like that in any way? And I think as a dad, no, I'm asking you this knowing that you're probably going to have, I don't know. I think dads in general have less of an identity crisis because your bodies aren't going through anything but i think there's still a huge shift that happens i feel like my body's always going through something i don't know not <laughs> to no fault of the children but i'm definitely uh uncomfortable at all times through 
you know, I have a I have a love of uh, treating myself terribly for, uh, you know, <laughs> pleasures. <laughs> like if, I'm eating two pizzas a night. Three um, pizzas for a yeah, time there, Shane. It's, okay, but what 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 was the question again? Do you ever feel like you've lost yourself, or like people only see you as a dad? In a way, I gained an identity because I feel like I had no identity before, but now I can mm-hmm. be dad as my identity, and that's nice. Yeah, I think that if you are stuck, I think it's so common and so easy for moms, especially to find themselves in that position, especially if you are on maternity leave. And in Canada, if we're taking a year off with the baby, we're we're pretty much attached at the hip, right? And like you, Shane, I feel like I have gained an aspect of identity. And I really love that. And it's really helped me come to terms with a lot of different things about myself. But I think that you also need to assert your own identity and remind people if they forget. Because I think other people forget sometimes. You know what I mean? Identity might be overrated. Who cares? Let's not not obsess over ourselves. I'm a fierce, funny, like how how many things can you be? We're just just eating, breathing, eating pizza and getting a little beer buzz on. Like I don't care about my identity that much. (laughs) You know what? I like how I like how you simplified life and I don't think it's diminutive. I like it. Yeah, it's cool being a parent. It's awesome. Yeah. It's better than being like the awkward, annoying guy, which I was. That was my previous identity. You know what's nice? It's nice to be a parent because it kind of gives you license to be cringe and living life in a way that other people might look at and think, "What are they doing? They're making an ass out of themselves, or they're embarrassing." It is so freeing. You get to be nicer too. Yes. I, uh, earlier, before get to have more we fun. before we recorded this. I was watching a tiger attacking an eight-year-old. Of course. It brought tears to my eyes. You are me, Shane. Yeah. And what they do is right before you find out if the kid like lives or not, oh my it's God. like follow oddly horrifying animal attacks to see the full <laughs> video. And then they keep making you follow the other video to see the full one to see if the kid survives. And then it's another video comes up. It's like follow sea scaries for the conclusion <laughs> of this. And I, I have like a hundred of these accounts I'm following now. So wait, what does that have to do with being nicer? I don't think in my younger years, if I saw a, kid being attacked by a tiger i would cry oh but now i'm so like emotive i'm growing up (laughs) okay how often did you do date nights before and now after kids so after kids we have like a specified day date where we try to make it different once a week and prior to kids every night we were going out yeah every Every night night we would we'd party in some regard yeah and stay up late, go to bed at two or three every mm-hmm. single night, wake up at whenever we had to work and sleep in till one or 2 p.m. On the weekends. On the weekends. Yeah. When we didn't have to work. It was an interesting life. It was. Yeah. Especially because we were, you were living in Toronto and I was there with you a lot of the weeknights. Like I'd go up to Toronto after work and then we'd stay up until two and I'd wake up at five to come back and work the next day. Because I'd have to beat the traffic. It was nuts. Yeah. I'm yeah, so we, glad our, life our is more chill. was like buy a, some sort of bottle, throw on three Amigos or Synecdoche, New York, and then somehow we'd by 2 a.m. we'd be like, you know, feeling good and or crying or something would be going on. <laughs> I remember Synecdoche, New York, you were crying. At. Oh, I was bawling my eyes out at the end of that movie. It uh, affected me. Oh, so much different. 
I'm getting sleepy now, man. And now, you know, look at us. It is 9.18 p.m. And we're bo- we're ready for bed. For us, yeah. yeah. But Maybe. Shane, let's call it. We're both yawning. Okay. We've been through a couple heart attacks with this podcast already. Well, uh, this was a weird one, but I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree. Tree Podcast. Oh, sorry. That's good. Episode 127. Bye.